Let's, uh, I'm going to pray, uh, not asking for luck, but uh, asking for God's help. Um, Yeah. Right, Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you that you speak to us, that it's relevant to us today. Um, Lord, it's not always easy, um, but you promised us your Holy Spirit to lead us into all truth. And so we ask now that you would do that for us and, and with us and in us. Amen. Amen. Um, so, we, uh, <laughs> we'll get into that passage in a minute. We've, we've uh, perhaps all had friends um, who have done this. Perhaps some of us have been those friends. You know when you've got a, a bunch of friends that are main, mainly kind of single people perhaps, and you're all hanging out and you all jo- enjoy time together, and there's a good dynamic, and then two of the friends get together, and the dynamic changes because they kind of want to be with each other the whole time, and, and it's not like it used to be, and it changes. You know, when, they, when people get into a new relationship, the way they relate to others can change. Uh, or maybe more positively, you've, uh, I don't know, had the experience of joining a choir or a club or a sports team or something like that, and almost overnight when you join that group, strangers become friends. So a new club suddenly means that you relate to these people completely differently than you might have done before. Well, if that is true of a new relationship, a new couple, uh, or a new club, if that has that effect on, on our relationships, becoming a follower of Jesus, which is what Christians are, changes everything, including our relationships. And that is what we're thinking about this morning, is the effect of being a follower of Jesus on our relationships. Um, today's passage is a little bit tricky on all sorts of levels. Um, <laughs> Um, I would genuinely, I mean this, I would love to preach on this passage for like an hour because I could easily do that because there's so much in there and so much needs to be said. Um, But I also love you all (laughs) and therefore will not preach for an hour. Um, I will preach for about 20 minutes. Um, I think I was just less than 20 minutes at the nine o'clock. So, you know, with a bit of luck. Um, But quite seriously, I want to think, I'm going to limit myself really to those first couple of verses that we had that maybe stuck in the throat as Lucy read them, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. Uh, I wasn't sitting at the back at this service, but I was sat sat at the back at the nine o'clock and and there were several couples where that, um, (laughs) at that moment. And some, some people looking pleased about that, other people not looking so pleased. I don't know how you felt about it. It doesn't seem to sit comfortably with us in the 21st century, those, those words. Um, maybe for some it does and you've grown up with that and it, it, it's kind of all fine well maybe for some here maybe you're, you're not regular churchgoers and you've come here and you've heard that bit of the Bible read wives submit to your husbands children obey your ch- parents slaves obey your masters and you think well this confirms everything that I suspected about the Bible and about Christian faith generally um, it's irrelevant, it's untrue it's outdated and therefore I should never come to church again and ignore it entirely um, And I would understand why you feel like that when you hear that passage read. Um, And I hope that this morning, by the time we get to the end of this, now probably 22-minute sermon, um, uh, you won't be thinking, oh, wow, everything I thought about the Bible is true, and I'm going to ignore it for the rest of my life. But rather, you will think, oh, wow, this person, Jesus, who we've been spending the last 15 minutes worshipping, is worth worshipping. And it's worth following with all of my life. 
Um, I won't promise that I'm going to answer all the questions and wrestles that you have in your head with that passage because we couldn't possibly do that. But if you want to do that, join a home group, go to the home group, and I'm going to write some amazing questions which will help you understand everything there is in there. Okay, I may be overstating what the promise there. Um, I, final point of introduction, I just want to say I, I am not above criticism, far from it. I would love if you want to wrestle with this more for you to come and chat to me afterwards and say, what about this? What about that? I didn't agree with what you said there. I'm very open to that. So please don't feel that you can't. So I want to look this morning, okay, we're now diving into it, at two characteristics of Christian relationships. Because when we become followers of Jesus, our relationships change. Two characteristics of Christian relationships are this. In all our relationships, we, that is Christians, have dignity in Jesus. And in all our relationships, we are called to submission like Jesus. So we have dignity in our relationships in Jesus, and we are called to submission like Jesus. First, in all our relationships, we have dignity in Jesus. If you were a woman or a slave in ancient Rome, you were considered a possession, not a person. You had no rights or authority. Uh, you were a thing owned by the head of the household. And it's difficult, perhaps, as I say that, to imagine what that would be like. And I suspect, knowing kind of things in reality, as they often are, that it wasn't often lived like that. That wasn't often, often how it worked in practice. But that was technically the case in law. You were a possession. Uh, philosophers of the day agreed that that was your place. Your nature suited it, according to the philosophers. You must live your life in accordance with nature, with how you are, with how things are. And so women and slaves are of a different nature and you must have your place. And so there were these household codes written in ancient Rome, in other ancient civilizations as well, about how to run a household. And they were written to men and for men for them to, as advice in a way of how to get the most out of your women and your slaves. And here in this little book of or letter to the Colossians, written 2,000 years ago, is a Christian version of those ancient household codes. How to run your house. And notice, first of all, the dignity that is given to all. So first of all, this is written not exclusively to men and for men. But actually, what happens is Paul addresses, the writer of the letter, Paul addresses the so-called lesser partner first each time. So first he talks to the women, then the men. First he talks to the children, then the parents. First he talks to the slaves, then the masters. Now imagine being a woman or a slave 2,000 years ago, and you're sat in a Roman colony in Colossae, and you're in a church perhaps, probably wouldn't look like this, probably someone's house, you're sat at the back because you're not very important, and someone's reading this letter from this really important person called, that everyone calls the Apostle Paul. And everyone says it's really important. And then, when it gets towards the end of the letter, the Apostle Paul, servant of God, addresses you. The possession. You are a woman or a slave and suddenly he's addressing you. He's talking to you. And not only that, he's talking to you first before your husband or your master. Quite an astonishing thing. You think, wow, well, why is that? Why is Paul addressing you as a person? Well, because 
their identity, that is women and slaves here, their identity, their first identity is not as a woman, a child, or a slave, but as Christ's, Jesus's, beloved. They are first and foremost in Christ. They are spiritual billionaires in him, and so therefore they have dignity, great dignity, and so Paul talks to them first. Have you seen the film The Greatest Showman? Great soundtrack, if you're into that kind of music, which not all of us are, but I am. Um, probably the most, uh, well, one of the fa most famous tracks is the one, that great kind of anthemic tune, This Is, uh, what's it called? This Is Me. I know it so well. This Is Me is the one with a bearded woman singing this song, and it's amazing. Let me remind you of some of the words. I won't let them break me down to dust. Uh, I know that there's a place for us, for we are glorious. And it goes on a bit later. And I know that I deserve your love. Oh, 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 oh. There's nothing I'm not worthy of. Oh, 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 oh. When the sharpest word's going to cut me down, I'm going to send a flood, going to drown them out. This is brave. This is bruised. This is who I'm meant to be. This is me. And we all kind of just go, yeah. And it's like, it's, a, it's kind of a 21st century anthem as it, um, if you like, kind of, it's the cry of, of the downtrodden and the mistreated throughout the generation saying, no longer, this is me. I have rights. I have dignity. I'm glorious. I'm worthy, whoever I am. And in that sense, it's a deeply Christian song. Deeply Christian. Dignity to those considered unworthy or mistreated. But here is the catch for our kind of 21st century culture. I want to ask a few questions because I want to say, well, on what basis are those people, whomever they may be, on what basis are they deserving of love? In the song it said, I deserve your love. On what basis are they worthy? Where does the dignity come from? Because it seems to me, if in the 21st century, as many people want to do, we get rid of the idea of God, well, actually, if we do that, well, we're all just lumps of randomly lucky atoms, and we have to fight to survive, and the strongest win. There isn't actually any inherent dignity. I'm just a kind of lump of flesh with no particular cosmic purpose, uh, and I don't deserve love actually, as the song suggests. And yet, the truth is, we hear that song and we all instinctively agree with it because we know that human beings do have dignity. We know it in here. We sense there is dignity in human beings, whoever they are. Why is that? Well, I think the Christian has an answer to it. All human beings are made in the image of God. And as we hear from Paul this morning, there is dignity given in Jesus. And so for that reason, Paul addresses these women, these children, these slaves as people, not possessions. And he talks to them. He talks to them first. So let me say this. If you are in a relationship, whether it's marital, whether it's a family relationship or an employment relationship, and you are treated as lesser or as somehow not having value, that is wrong. That is profoundly unchristian, anti-Christian. In all our relationships, we have dignity in Jesus. Those who abuse others in relationships are wrong. 
They are dehumanizing what Jesus died for. And let me say this. You do not need to stay in an abusive relationship. Sadly, verses like the ones we've had read this morning in church have been used in the past to subject women to abuse in marriages, to defend child abuse, to defend the practice of slavery. These are evils which God will put right on the day of judgment and which all Christians should do all they can to oppose. In all our relationships, we have dignity in Jesus, whoever we are. Second, and perhaps more challenging for us, in all our relationships, we are called to submission like Jesus. Um, last week, I had the experience, which maybe you've had, um, though you may, may, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, had this experience of twice my car not starting. Once I was in a little car park, which is a, quite a low place to be, with you sitting in your Hyundai i10, and the engine won't turn on, and I had to sit for three hours before, bizarrely, it started again. I was waiting for the RAC, they hadn't turned up, I tried it again, and it started, and I drive back, drove back up to Fir First Field for the Jubilee celebrations. Then it happened again on Tuesday. I was on Lansdowne Road, I parked up, I'd gone somewhere, I came back, wouldn't turn on. I then called the RAC again, and I waited for five hours in my Hyundai, oh, I'm glad I've got an R. <laughs> I felt very sorry for myself because I waited for five hours. Hyundai i10s, small cars, uh, not big. Uh, radio couldn't work because the battery was dead. Didn't have any signal at the bottom of Lansdowne Hill on my, uh, on my phone. So I couldn't look at the internet, couldn't listen to the radio. I had a few hours to think. And the thing that occurred to me as I was thinking and sat there without anything to do, I couldn't leave the car either because I would have got a ticket. So I had to stay by my car. As I sat there, the thing that I reflected on was that I find those sorts of situations infuriating because it brings home to me the fact that I am not in control. I am in that situation at the mercy of my car, I'm at the mercy of the RAC guy, at the, my phone signal, my phone battery, etc. And it flies in the face of what I like to assume most of the time, which is that I'm at the center of the universe and in control. And so those experiences can be quite good for me. In a different way, the same is true of being a follower of Jesus. And that is to say that when we come to faith in Jesus, we give up ourselves as the center of our existence and we put him there instead. And often it's uncomfortable you just need to look at the language used earlier in the chapter, in chapter 3 of Colossians, where Paul says, put to death whatever belongs to your old nature, your earthly nature. And he, as he says that, he's talking about the things which we do which suit our old nature. And he says, rather, Jesus calls you to live according to your new nature. So the old nature, if you like, is self-assertion, my way, me in the middle. The new nature is self giving, it's your way, it's Jesus in the middle. And I say all that because I wonder if part of the reason that we, that many of us recoil when we hear verse 18, wives, submit to your husbands, we, you know, we do this because actually this word submit has become something of a dirty word 
in our culture. So we think, in, in the kind of way of thinking perhaps is, if I'm not getting what I need from this situation, this job, this marriage, well, I will leave because I'm most important. That's self-assertion. It's me in the middle. That's something of our culture, perhaps. And submission, well, that's, that says, well, that means giving my hard-earned rights away. It means I might not get everything that I want from this situation, this job, or this marriage. For the good of others. It's self-giving. And that is the way of Jesus. So we, in all our relationships, we Christians, are called to submission like Jesus. And so here, in verse 18, Paul says, Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. Some have suggested it may be a kind of concession to the particularly male-dominated context of the time. Though interestingly, Paul has just said, don't behave as though you belong to the world, so don't be like the culture around you. So he doesn't seem, in other parts of the letter, to be making concessions to the world around him. But whatever it meant then, and means now, here is what it does not mean. I think this is really important Here is what that verse does not mean. It does not mean being weak. It does not mean that women are to be doormats in marriage. It does not mean that husbands rule over their wives. It does not mean that women are inferior. It does not mean that women shouldn't have jobs outside the home. It does not mean that rape does not exist or cannot occur in marriage. It does not mean that women do the cooking and men do the bins or whatever other arrangement you come to. Rather, it means, plainly as it says, that wives should submit to their husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now that phrase there is huge. It is fitting in the Lord that wives should submit. Why? Well, think about who the Lord is. The Lord Jesus. Because Jesus who we believe is the one who has all authority, all power, all dominion, willingly submitted himself to being human. And even more than that, he submitted himself to death. And even more than that, he submitted himself to death, the most humiliating death on a cross. It is fitting because submission is the way of Jesus. Which is why it is not surprising that in a parallel passage from Ephesians 5, another of Paul's letters, in Ephesians 5 verse 21, Paul says to all Christians, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Presumably including husbands to wives there. All Christians submit to one another. And while we're on that, let me just look at what husbands are called to do. This is quite big stuff. Chaps. Verse 19, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Or again, in Ephesians 5, verse 22, the parallel passage, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? By dying for us. Jesus, though he was God, submitted himself to death at the hands of those he'd created because he loved us. He died to take on our sin, our mess, our rejection of him, and to do away with it forever because he loves us. His willing submission is the reason that you can be forgiven. It is the way that you can know God. It is the lifeline of peace. It is the only hope in the face of death. 
Submission and love are cross-shaped. They are cross-shaped. And so husbands, your love is the sort of love which is willing to die for your wife. Not in some heroic or romantic one-off gesture, which would have to be one-off by definition. (laughs) But, more seriously, in the daily dying to your selfish impulses and putting her first. We are called to submission like Christ. And as we hear it, it offends us. We hear submission and we think, how dare you? We're living in the 21st century. Don't you say that to me. And I get that response. I understand that response. Because we think that submission means denigrating or demeaning our worth, when in fact it's the way of Jesus. Jesus, can I, can I just remind you how Jesus treated women? Jesus listened to women. He learned from women. He confided in women. He released the voice of women. He was funded by women. He celebrated women. He respected women. And so that Jesus is not about to subjugate women to abusive relationships. But he does call all his followers to submission, to seeking the good of others over the long term, however much it might cost us. So I've talked a lot about husbands and wives, fully realizing that not all of us are husbands and wives, and I apologize if you're not a husband or a wife. But I hope you can see that actually, in a sense, that that relationship is an example for all other relationships that we might have. So here is the... Here's it where it kind of hits the road for us. If my identity is so based on being a strong-minded, independent person that I'm not willing to submit to anyone, what does that say about my understanding of Jesus? What does it say about who is at the center of my life? So as we grow and become more Jesus-shaped, we will become more cross-shaped. If you remember, Jesus calls every one of his followers to take up their cross daily and follow him. And the cross, of course, is ultimate submission. Elsewhere in the Bible, it says the cross is foolishness. It's stupid. It's madness to to people that look on. Why would Jesus do that? Stupid. And yet, it is the power of God to save. And in that sense, it is both beautiful and powerful. And it's the ultimate symbol of submission. And so here are some questions to ponder. I'm finishing with these questions. Some might be more relevant to you than others. Maybe hold on to one of them. I'll give you four. You just need to remember one. Okay, one question. Why do I often find it hard to submit to others? Another one. How do my relationships look different from the world around me? Do they look different? Another one. In what way are the relationships we have in church reflecting the submission of Jesus? And last one, today, who is at the center of my life? And how is that reflected in my relationships and in my work? A few things to ponder. Lots more to be said about that. Thank you for listening to me.